Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, February 9th, 2023. It's been 3,270 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 351 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. First, some housekeeping. Because of the significant increase in operational tempo, we will be suspending most non-combat coverage. If the volume or rate of intel merits it, we will livestream on those video-supporting social media internet platforms like the YouTube and TikTok. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, We assess that Russia's large-scale offensive has started throughout most regions of Ukraine, and the Russian Ministry of Defense is attempting to retake the initiative throughout the theater of war. Second, we assess that despite the launch of the large-scale offensive, early reports of Russian tactics and successes indicate that the Mobik units that reportedly received longer and better training are just as poorly trained as their predecessors and the Russian military within Ukraine remains incapable of dramatically changing the battlefield situation in the coming weeks. Third, we assess that Russian forces have severed two ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, into Bakhmut. Ukrainian military leaders must consider withdrawing or committing their significant reserves if the Ukrainian general staff is employing a counterstrike strategy. Fourth, We assess that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin has further escalated to the Kremlin actively seeking to reduce Prigozhin's influence and power. Fifth, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gadasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Sixth, we maintain that ongoing severe weather in the Black Sea, Crimea, and the Rostov-on-Don region of Russia will continue to delay the next Russian punitive missile strike on civilians and civilian infrastructure. Seventh, We maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Ninth, 
We maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Tenth, we maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, Serhi Haidai, reported a significant increase in artillery fire along the entire line of conflict in Luhansk and described Russian attacks as constant, using squad and platoon-size units in repeated attacks on Ukrainian positions. In the Svatova operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported continued fighting on the eastern edge of Novoselivsky, while the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported Ukrainian positions were shelled. Russian forces continued attempts to advance from Kuzemivka through a no-man's land using tanks, with a T-80B destroyed by Ukrainian artillery. In Makievka, Russian forces are using their doctrine of destroying an area with artillery to make it indefensible. Ukrainian officials continue to bring humanitarian aid to the 20 remaining residents who refuse to abandon their livestock, even though the constant shelling is killing their animals. In the Kremina operational area, the situation is very much the same in Nevsky, where 140 civilians remain and live in their basements due to the constant artillery shelling, venturing out only to tend to their farm animals. The GSAFU reported that Russian attacks in the area of Chervonopopivka were repulsed, and for the second day in a row, the Russian MOD reported that the settlement was shelled. In the Kremina operational area, Russian forces shelled the area around the town throughout the day, with fighting among squad and platoon-sized forces occurring northwest, west, and south of the town, and in the Serebryansky woods. Ukrainian forces increased artillery strikes on Russian positions. Russian and Ukrainian forces heavily shelled the areas around Dibrova, with heavy fighting among small groups continuing in the forested areas. The situation was similar near Kuzmine, with fighting in the area of the hamlet reported by a reliable Ukrainian source. Luhansk Oblast Governor Haidai shared still images of the first combat loss of a Russian BMPT Terminator. The BMPT Terminator is a tank support that had been specifically developed for urban warfare from lessons learned in Syria. The Russian Federation Armed Forces had fewer than a dozen on February 24, 2022, and the one destroyed had been used in several state media propaganda videos. Another video showed a Russian forward operating base near Kremina that had been destroyed by artillery and light infantry. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to advance from Shiplivka in the Kremina direction through the Seversky Donetsk River floodplain. And the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attack in the area. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, PMC Wagner target, and failed Mobik, Igor Gerkin-Strelkov, confirmed Wargonzo's claim, adding that the attack through the, quote, floodplain of the Seversky Donetsk 
failed. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, also failed, with Wargonzo reporting that Russian troops tried to attack from the north. Governor Khaidai stated that Russian forces have not been able to make any progress, with Russian millblogger Strelkov making a similar claim. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, claimed that Ukrainian forces attacked Pisarivka with a single rocket fired by HIMARS. The settlement is 89 kilometers from the line of conflict, solidly putting the village, which is 31 kilometers northeast of Sarobilsk, out of HIMARS range. Some assessment. This is the third claim in the last 10 days made by the LNR-JCCC of HIMARS strikes on civilians in regions that are out of range of the Guided Multiple Launch Rocket System, or GMLRS. We cannot assess who is behind the attacks or their point of origin. With the ongoing Russian offensive, there is no evidence to support that Ukrainian forces are any further east than the current assessment. In northeast Donetsk, a quick errors and omissions. There was a typographical error in yesterday's report indicating that Blahodatne is northwest of Solidar. The correct direction is southwest, and we appreciate your understanding. In the Siversk operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Verknokamyanskia and Spirna without success. The GSAFU reported an attack on Vyemka was repulsed, with Russian forces likely advancing through a tree line from the Hirne. We did not update the war map due to the nine-month history of Russian squad and platoon-sized DRG units operating in the area. Russian forces attacked Ferorivka, attempting to advance in the Siversk direction from the Solidar operational area. In the Solidar operational area, the situation for Ukrainian forces has become critical. Russian forces attacked Rozdolivka and Vasyukivka, with the Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade holding defensive lines. Southwest of Solidar, PMC Wagner and Russian forces continued to push through Ukrainian defenses from Blachodatne towards Zelizhnyansky and Berkhivka, operationally severing the M3 Highway G-lock and putting Krasnohora and Paraskovivka in a deep salient. Russian millblogger Strelkov reported that PMC Wagner had captured Krasnohora, while other sources reported heavy fighting continued, with Ukrainian forces being pushed out of the salient. Some assessment here. Ukrainian forces losing operational control of the M3 highway will enable Russian forces to advance towards Slovyansk, but we maintain they lack the resources to convert the operational success into tactical and strategic victories. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner and Russian forces supported by the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, and the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR, sent waves of squad and platoon-sized attacks into the northern, northeast, southeast, and southern parts of the city. Composite forces from Russia and PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Paraskovivka, with Russian forces reaching the Garden Center and the M3 and T513 highway junction. The situation north of the highway junction is unknown, but Ukrainian forces are at a high risk of encirclement. 
NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed several thermal anomalies in eastern and central Bakhmut, indicating significant artillery activity and fighting east of the Bakhmutovka River. Mercenaries with Rybar reported heavy fighting in the northern part of the city, with a geolocated video showing a Ukrainian BTR-4 providing infantry dismounts with fire support from its 30mm autocannon. A second video showed that Ukrainian artillery was targeting advancing Russian troops. Some assessment here. Both videos show how Ukrainian forces have evolved over the last 11 months, demonstrating effective combined arms tactics utilizing and coordinating armor, infantry, artillery, and surveillance. Mill blogger Strelkov agreed with our assessment from September about the Russian strategy in Bakhmut, writing, quote, For the Wagner Command and the RF Armed Forces, the capture of Bakhmut is of fundamental importance, so the battle will continue on our side until victory or until the complete exhaustion of forces, end quote. In the Kostyantonivka operational direction, heavy fighting continued, with Russian forces advancing toward Chasivyar and Stupochki. PMC Wagner and Russian forces are advancing along the Seversky-Donetsk-Donbass Canal and are within one to one and a half kilometers of the T-504 highway G-lock. Mill blogger Strelkov claimed that a section of the highway between Stupochki and Ivanivsky is now under Russian fire control, severing the route. PMC Wagner and Russian forces have not been able to advance on Ivanivsky, with intense fighting continuing two kilometers to the south and Ukrainian defensive positions attacked by Russian air assets. Slovyansk was attacked overnight, with a single rocket or missile striking an open area. The crater size was consistent with the impact left by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In southwest Donetsk, in the Toretsk, New York operational area, Russian mill blogger Strelkov reported a Russian attempt to advance on New York, which failed. Russian forces shelled the settlement, causing significant damage. In the Avdiivka operational area, elements of the Russian 1st Army Corps, previously DNR, attacked Ukrainian defensive positions near Kamyanka, attempting to cross the H-20 highway, also without success. Russian forces attempted a direct assault on Ukrainian defensive positions east of Avdiivka from Yakovlivka, the one west of Donetsk, not the one northeast of Solodar, and were unable to move the line of conflict. To the south, Russian forces attempted to advance from the recently fully recaptured Vodyana with support from the Russian VKS. Elements of the 1st Army Corps also attempted to push into Pervomaiske from Piski and remained unable to advance. In the Marinka operational area, Russian forces renewed their attempts to advance on Krasnohorivka. New videos and pictures showed that fighting continued in the center of Marinka along Druzhby Avenue, with Russian mill bloggers dropping earlier claims that Ukrainian forces had been pushed to the western outskirts. 
Russian forces have deployed the 150th to lead the new assault, which did not start well. And Strelkov described the effort as, quote, sluggish. Some assessment. In the aforementioned video, a platoon of Russian troops came under mortar fire from Ukrainian forces. Any NATO-trained non-commissioned officer will start screaming, spread out, watching the opening seconds. Russian troops cluster in an open area during the attack while still taking fire. They retreated through an open pathway, leaving their wounded behind while demonstrating a lack of discipline and training. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In the Ukhladar operational area, the GSAFU reported an attack in the area of Bokhyavlenka was repulsed. Quick assessment. This is well behind the known line of conflict, and we're not sure if this report is in error or if there is a second Bokhyavlenka we couldn't locate. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian positions in Ukhledar were hit by artillery and airstrikes. Ukrainian mill bloggers reported that Russian assaults continued that were ineffective and caused catastrophic losses of equipment and personnel. Strelkov wrote, quote, Based on the analysis of incoming information, the recent assault on Ukhledar was repelled with heavy losses for the units of the Russian Federation Armed Forces participating in it. End quote. A video showed a Russian armored platoon driving into a minefield and coming under artillery fire. Only one vehicle escaped, abandoning the rest of the unit. The survivors mounted a second infantry fighting vehicle with some fleeing on foot, abandoning a T-80 tank that appeared to have either hit a mine or suffered a mechanical failure. After months of speculation and a handful of questionable pictures, the DNR People's Militia Telegram Channel showed members of the 1st Army Corps using a World War II-era 152mm D-1 towed artillery piece in combat. The D-1 was introduced in 1943 and produced through 1949. It requires a crew of 8 and has a maximum range of 12 kilometers. Russian-occupied Horlivka and Donetsk were shelled, in Donetsk, near the Galaxy Shopping Center, DNR officials claimed two people were killed. Overnight, the Leninsky district was hit by rockets, causing a large fire. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In Berdyansk, there were reports on social media of several loud explosions. NASA firms showed a large area of thermal anomalies in the coastal area northeast of the city. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is still unchanged. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, severe weather kept the Black Sea fleet in port with one vessel on patrol, and it was not a missile carrier. High winds created waves as high as three meters and damaged coastal areas. The Kerch Strait ferry was suspended for a fourth day due to the high seas, and there were significant traffic jams to cross the bridge. In Sevastopol, near Yashmovi Beach, Russian engineers are building concrete defensive structures and pillboxes into the hillside. Weren't they just advertising Crimea as a vacation destination? I think they're taking the pod hotel thing a little too far. Assessment 
The ferry closure entering the fourth day and the reduction in car and bus traffic across the bridge is likely delaying shipments of materials to support Russian forces in Crimea, Kherson, and Zaporizhia. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. In Kherson, a children's outpatient and rehabilitation clinic was shelled for the fourth time, killing one person. Water and sewer infrastructure were also attacked, critically wounding two employees making repairs from previous attacks. The residential areas were also shelled, causing significant damage. East of the Dnipro, Russian-occupied Novokhovka and Kohovka were shelled. In Dnipropetrovsk, Nikopol was heavily shelled overnight, damaging or destroying more than two dozen residential buildings. One person was killed in the attack. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Cherniv, Russian air assets attacked Semenivka, striking an industrial area and collapsing a building. Two people were killed and two more were missing at the time of recording. In the Sumy Oblast, 87 artillery shells and mortars fired by Russian forces from across the border struck the Hromadas of Krasnopilia, Bilopilia, Esmen, Novosloboda, Yunakivka, and Seredina Buda. Krasnopilia was hit 33 times, while Novosloboda was struck 22 times. There weren't any casualties reported. The Kharkiv Oblast administrative and military governor, Ole Siniubov, reported a significant increase in artillery fire and positional fighting along the entire line of conflict on the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border. In Dvorichna, two civilians were killed by Russian artillery. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported wide-scale artillery strikes but were nonspecific about the fighting locations. Both combatants have significant military resources in the Kupyansk operational area. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.